passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. It is Rewind a Dynamite. John Pollock and Wei Ting here with you on a Wednesday night following tonight's AEW debut in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Very cold Winnipeg, Manitoba. As always, I mean, you know, it's basically the Arctic up here. So, you know, I mean, these wrestling shows, um, these promotions really picking optimal times to do shows in Canada, I would say. Well, they're going to be there in uh, Calgary in the dead of summer, so that that should okay. be uh, a lot of fun. Um, it'll be scorching here in Toronto at the end of June, and it's frigid in uh, WWE in Montreal, and then AEW in Winnipeg in uh, March. Realistically, they're like three days out of the year that you, that are optimal, um, you know, for really nice weather in Canada to do shows in. So you, no matter what, you're you're hitting tough weather. Yeah, it's uh, you know what? Go go to like PEI. PEI is a wonderful place. I hear Vancouver is pretty good too. Vancouver is so. very nice as well. Yeah. A lot of a lot of places you can go in our lovely country. Happy birthday, way! Hey, thank you, thank you yes. so much. Thanks, John. Um, Are we having a bar mitzvah for you tonight? <laughs> I had one. It was great. You know, it lasted about twenty minutes. Right at all eight of, o'clock. Yeah, yeah. All your all your past opponents came out as the the ghost of a Christmas future for you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know if this is like, was this a good, I'd love to know everybody. Was this a, was, was what we saw tonight a good representation of what a bar mitzvah is like? We like, are, are going to usually- get, um, I, I don't want to promise and then we, we don't get it, but I have enlisted, uh, John Pine, who is going to give us a breakdown of the authenticity of tonight's. Okay. Wow. Bar mitzvah. Okay. Lovely. Because he was going to be watching with a very critical eye, uh, because I, I cannot, um, I cannot give a proper breakdown. You've never um, been to a bar mitzvah? Either? I've never been to a bar mitzvah. No. Okay. Well, great. When when is this ha- like it's happening later on the show? I'm hoping he will email in before the end of the show and if not, I will um I will keep everyone uh posted. So, okay. he said he would do it. He said he would he would send this in. So, Lovely. Uh, when I got an email from him earlier today and the first word was Shalom, I felt that it was only <laughs> appropriate that we put him to work afterwards. Uh, he said he had extremely high hopes for the segment and him and his friend, also Jewish, have been going back and forth all day talking about this. And let's see. Let's see if it lived up to expectations. We'll find I, out. I'm looking forward to hearing that report. I mean, you know, John Pine does great GCW reports as usual, but this might be the, the most important report he's ever given. 
Well, AEW had an important report to hand out on Wednesday. They announced a six-city tour of Canada for later this year. Of course, they made their debut in the country last October for their two nights in Toronto, Winnipeg tonight, and they are going to come back with Forbidden Door on Sunday, June the 25th at Scotiabank Arena. So uh, a step up from the Coca-Cola Coliseum where they were here last. And they will follow that with the following Wednesday's Dynamite and Rampage taping at the First Ontario Centre in Hamilton. The following week, Dynamite and Rampage will emanate from Rogers Place in Edmonton, Alberta. The next week, they will break up Dynamite and Rampage with Dynamite in Saskatoon. And Rampage is coming to Regina, Saskatchewan. Whoa. Hey, man. How, How many TV shows does Regina get? Okay. This might be the biggest show that's ever hit Regina in quite some time. I mean, clearly Brock Lesnar has brought the pro wrestling. Um, it's just brought the focus of professional wrestling to this fine province of mm-hmm. Saskatchewan. And then uh, the day after Regina, they are going to do a house rules house show at the Saddle Dome in Calgary, Alberta. So uh, I don't know what they have planned, but this is um, – you can see the uh, the logo there. I imagine that this is as the Calgary Stampede is going on, which hmm. to piggyback off the Calgary Stampede is a very smart idea. Um, that yeah. is what WWF did for the famous Canadian Stampede pay-per-view uh, was, you know, with uh, with all of that coming up in the city. So uh, the Saddle Dome is a very big venue for AEW to run for a house show. And um, may- maybe you- maybe this is the time you call up Bruce Hart. I mean, that is a real different Bruce Hart versus John Moxley. I would consider flying out to Calgary. <laughs> I think it, they should put it on pay per view. Uh, honestly, yeah. Um, hey, man, uh, this this is great. It's great news, you know, as Canadians to see that they're especially hitting some of these other uh, areas that don't often get any shows. Um, you know, much less an AEW show. There's there are a lot of starved AEW fans. I'm sure in all, all the, of these places. And Toronto is finally getting a, an AEW pay per view. What, what do you think about the timing of it? And you know, how do you think it'll do? Given that it's not the first AEW show here, do you think that has any will have any effect? It's a bigger event than what they came back for. It's not the first event in the market. It's a Sunday night as opposed to a Saturday that. I don't know if that's going to play any role, but I think given the fact that you have it's a pay-per-view and it's going to be a bigger show and you have the injection of New Japan talent, I think this is an event that you could get people traveling for, especially from from Buffalo and from surrounding areas. Montreal is not getting a show in these six tours, so it, it could very well be like if you're someone in Montreal and – you want to see an AEW pay-per-view and maybe stick around for Dynamite in Hamilton. Um, that's that's probably strategic on their part not to run Montreal and Toronto and just funnel everyone to the pay-per-view. Uh, my long answer to your question, I feel they will do very well. I'm not going to... A year ago, I might have said automatic sellout, even if this was the second time in the market. I still feel pretty optimistic for the Toronto market, um, but we saw Revolution did not sell out in San Francisco. First time there. That was a pay-per-view. Um, but I, I do feel they will do pretty well. Like for wrestling at the Scotiabank Arena, like WWE could put in, I want to say around 12,000 was a sellout or so, given whatever the, the the setup is for a pay-per-view. So that's, that's what you're looking at. And that's an achievable figure for this. I definitely feel that they would be undercutting themselves to go back to the Coca-Cola Coliseum. This would mm-hmm. be um, 
this, this is a risk worth taking. I don't know if I'm as bullish on a, uh, a, a Rogers center as I would have been for the, a year ago when you're talking about punk, you're talking about the first time in the market. It, it's a different time for AEW. So I, I like this choice. I like it too. Yeah. Um, Honestly, like in hindsight, I, I maybe a good idea that they didn't run or, or even attempt to run a stadium, you know, just kind of given the lack of a CM Punk and just maybe the way things have kind of turned out for AEW thus far. But I, I think this is a big enough sounding show that it'll get everybody who might have been on the fence even to go to the, the earlier editions of Dynamite or Rampage to decide to go to this one. It's not often Toronto gets a, a, a pay-per-view level show. Last year, Forbidden Door was arguably the best show that they've had the entire year year and there's going to be under you know presumably a lot of star power under that roof um you know you're talking about a city that hosted global wars for ring of honor for years and um that always felt like a a major attraction now it's not just the new japan stars but you know you also have um your AEW, you know big names as well and um I think if, if, you know, maybe some of the teases are any indication, like this year's card could be really, really tremendous for Forbidden Door. So especially like, you know, if, if, they, if this show had any issue maybe selling out, I feel like a card that might potentially include an Osprey versus Kenny, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Brian Danielson, I, 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 I feel like it's a pretty safe bet that it'll fill the house. Yeah, there's also a um, that same day there is a home game for the Blue Jays at uh, Rogers Center as well. Um, so I don't think that would have necessarily gone into the thinking. I I think you want to scale this uh, at an arena setting, uh, but nonetheless, that is the case that weekend. So uh, tickets will be going on sale later this month. I think all but the Calgary shows go on sale May 24th, and then the Calgary show is actually May 7th or March 17th rather. That. Uh, tickets go on sale for that. So the pay-per-view will certainly be the one to watch of how fast uh, tickets get scooped up because what I've always said about Toronto is that you you can draw from many different uh, markets as well that you know people coming up from Buffalo, from Montreal, from surrounding areas of uh, Toronto and, and around the, the province as well. So there should be a pretty healthy appetite for tickets there. John Cena, we are going to talk about next. He was interviewed by the Associated Press, and I definitely saw a lot of uh, backlash towards some of his comments because he was asked about the the sexual misconduct allegations against Vince McMahon and if it was hard for him to reconcile the feelings that he has for Vince McMahon regarding uh, the allegations attached to him. And John Cena said, no, he does not. And he says, I mean, everyone has the right to have their perspective. I have the right to have mine. When you love somebody, you take them as imperfectly perfect as they are. We all make mistakes. We all have poor decisions. Lord knows I've made my collection of poor choices. That doesn't mean I'm not going to love somebody. There's no way I can go on record and say I don't love Vince McMahon. So if you were just to hear that paragraph in its and uh, in a vacuum uh, without the context, you would be thinking, God, what did this guy do? I mean, did he... Uh, did he did he no show um, an important meeting that John Cena was going to be a part of? Did he prevent John Cena from taking a really important movie role? Um, to me, it was very much. Um, to me, it, it was a guy that obviously has an incredible amount of reverence for Vince McMahon, um, while at the same time, to me, greatly um, underselling the severity of these allegations. And I'm, I'm not saying that. Listen, you're 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 a great admirer of this person that you have to trash them in the media. I don't think you have to trash someone to say that it is um, 
to be a lot more stern when asked about this. And John Cena is a very savvy individual that has to be knowing these questions are coming, especially when you're talking to an outlet like the Associated Press and that this topic might come up about Vince McMahon. And I think having a better answer than we all make mistakes. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I think it's, I understand it's a tough position maybe for somebody uh, like in his position to talk about something like this. Um, but you would figure that like he would be maybe per- a bit more prepared for an answer. And maybe this was his prepared answer. And maybe he felt like this was, you know, what accurately represented his feelings. And I'm sure it does. But um, I think the unfortunate part of it is that it it's an answer that seems to really minimize these allegations that are a lot more, you know, than than simply mistakes. Um, I don't Se- sexual di- misconduct, hush money payments. Uh, mm-hmm. accused of uh, coercing a woman into oral sex like this is um s- say nothing of you know the the settlement of the decades old right. Rita Chatterton case i mean that is that is something that i'm i look at more and more is how some of these stories and it's like how we couch the language of how these are talked about it's mm-hmm. they're, they're not it's like you, you take away the the exact uh, description of what is being accused and we just uh, package them as hmm. mistakes or just, you know, we, we make them s- seem a lot more digestible when they are just when, when you take away the, you know, what we're actually talking about here. And I think for a lot of people, you hear this enough and you turn this into a story that you contort in your mind as well, he just had a relationship with uh, with a woman he worked with. What's the big deal? Or this is a money story. This is just about money. And it's like you you couch it how you want to view this figure. And if you're somebody that wants to hold Vince McMahon in some high regard, you're going to be a lot more easy on on what it is we're talking about here instead of you know just laying out the the exact allegations and that mm-hmm. they should not be just swept aside and just being addressed as poor decisions right yeah i i I do feel the need to specify that they are allegations and you know um the reader chatterton case uh, has been i guess uh dealt with you know through uh a settlement but vince does continue to allege that um those allegations are false so i i i think it's important to state that and and maybe it's important to kind of view that through the lens of john cena as well you know who seems to speak of this person as a family member um now his answer does indicate that there were faults and and mistakes made now what exactly does he believe factually are the mistakes that vince mcmahon made entering into like hush money agreements with you know um employees that he's uh, had these sort of relations with is it simply having the relations themselves um and and if you maybe view it through that sort of understanding is what john cena said um enough uh, i guess you know uh, um is, is it a, a a big enough response maybe you know just to kind of uh, uh, uh encompassing maybe you know all that um not I don't think so. Like even then, I, I I still feel like it's it's somebody like a John Cena in the public eye probably ought to take a bigger stand, you know, against like uh, something that that is pretty like um, frowned upon, I, I suppose, in the workplace. And again, it's it's very hard to maybe or maybe put- not comment on it. Like, listen, I'm I'm not out here to persecute John Cena. He's not the person that is the center of this story. And 
I mean, I look at it and, and I would, I would ask you, Wade, that like, if you had someone that you were extremely close with that was accused of something mm. awful. Like you. Okay. Okay. Like, like yeah. I, I would honestly, I would honestly hope that, um, I would, I would have a friendship with you that could, that you would be honest with me and be, and could be very disappointed in a decision I made. If mm-hmm. I made a horrible error, I, I would not want to rely on, Friends that are just telling me what I want to hear and divorcing me from reality. Now, I might not want to hear you say that in in the press, but I would Mm -hmm. think that you would maybe be in a position where you would have to. Yeah, yeah. And and so I I don't necessarily know if like a no comment would would be it'd be better for Cena because look look at how much like people people like you and I are dissecting, you know, like this this paragraph of words. And that's just unfortunately the nature of celebrity, the nature of media. Um but, and this is also somebody that I mean, he really stepped in it last year with, with the mm-hmm. whole Taiwan controversy. And this yeah. is somebody that is, I would say, more than ninety nine percent of the pro wrestling uh, population is as adept at media as anybody else that mm-hmm. has the most that is most likely to get a spotlight based on how he handles a situation like this. That, frankly, ninety nine percent of wrestlers are not going to be um, held to like a, a great account if they give some awful answer. Yeah. John Cena is one of those that is going to have a lot more attention. And if this were happening in another industry with a major figure, I think this would be a, a bigger story of somebody just, and John Cena is not the only one of many others that have just excused mm-hmm. this because of who the person is. And that if this were, if this were some, uh, middle rung independent promoter that was accused of this, this person would be exiled from the industry and would be completely excoriated by his peers and colleagues. But sure. power is, and, you know, the friendships are going to trump a lot of that. But most of all, power is going to. Yeah, yeah. So let's get back to the example. If like, you know, you were being a- accused of something in the public eye and I was being asked to comment on it. Um, I, I would, pro- I, I mean, if, I would probably feel the need to comment on it and and I would hope that you'd be okay if I spoke my truth and I think my truth would maybe sound uh, like if you agreed to an interview okay yeah and there was uh something awful that had happened with me you yeah. would go into that interview with the knowledge there's a pretty good chance that I'm going to be asked about this sure. how am I going to address this and yeah. And likewise, like I would know so, that this question is probably coming my way. I should totally. probably know what I'm going to say. As I'm sure, as I'm sure, Cena might might have been prepared yeah. for, right? And and so, like, my, what would my answer be? You know, I would hope that in that time, I would have had a chance to speak to you personally about, like, let's say, like, you know, some of these allegations that might be as severe as what, like, you know, uh, Vince McMahon uh, has been alleged to do. Um, and then at that point, it would kind of be up to me to what, believe you or not. And then my res- uh, my response would would be, you know, something according to to that. Um, if I didn't like if let's say you had an excuse and I didn't believe you, um, I I would feel the need to like say it like publicly. Now, if if I did believe you and I, if I believed like, OK, like, John, you made a mistake. Um, you know, I, 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 it's not hard for me to reconcile my feelings towards you. You know, you, you and I like are still, um, incredibly good friends. Um, I feel like I would probably say the same thing, you know, as Cena. Now we, we of course don't know, like, you know, what sort of conversation Cena and Vince have, but like, I feel like we can maybe assume that they, he Cena has an understanding of sorts of like what what Vince went through. I guess it's just hard for me to see that from the outside. What that understanding would be, you know, considering these allegations. Yeah, I also look at it from the fact that 
I think that we and and believe me, I'm not saying that that nobody cares, but I also feel like our reaction to this is that oh boy, this this could really come back and and hurt John Cena. And in reality, it's I think there are far more people that have just moved on from this that are not looking at this with any anywhere near the um the insight yeah. that you know a, a a handful of people really are truly. Yeah, yeah. And to, like does they, he just, there was not this crazy outrage that Vince McMahon was spotted at a WWE event. This person who has been accused of all of this, like that was not the controversy. The controversy was, is this guy booking raw? Like that is, that is the easy topic that people can devour and talk about for hours. But yeah. when you get into um, the allegations and such, that's where people just, I don't think they want to necessarily dive into that aspect of things. Sure. And and I feel like um, I, I kind of credit Cena for actually giving us an answer and, and not just maybe stepping away from it. Um, I also don't know if he should be, you know, if he should lose his anything, really. Like from, I, I'm not saying he this. should lose anything. I'm more so saying yeah. that it's, I, I do find it disappointing that continually we seem to get this this reaction as though it's just this this minor infraction i mean to be to be accused of such things and and the fact that we have um you know there was there was a police report after the tanzibar incident like this mm-hmm. is not just uh, as though this is there has not been a pattern uh, of certain actions like th- this is somebody that has been accused of some horrendous things and to me that is a major a major issue with this individual that yeah. I hope I hope that despite this complete uh, privacy that he has opted to have no addressing of any of these allegations I hope it is someone that has looked back and has some regret over this that has learned something from this because on the outside looking in the lesson has been if this happens uh, you have to go about and conduct the right paperwork that has been the lesson that his company has displayed mm-hmm. and one that even that even even taking uh, not properly reporting uh, what should have been company funds, you still are back into your same position of power. So even right. that was not some uh, drastic penalty that he underwent. Yeah, well, I mean, sort of, I guess, I don't know, losing his role, um, you know, in his company, like how will he how will we know that he's, uh, you know, uh, felt any sort of repercussion as a result of of, of this? Like, I, I think it's as, it, in his interest and it's the it's in the company's interest to just kind of let this entire thing wash away. So I wouldn't expect any sort of comment publicly, you know, uh, about how much he he's he might have changed, if if at all, um, unless there there was some other purpose. Maybe this documentary, you know, that Bill Simmons is putting together um, might, you know, tackle the issue um, and maybe we'll finally get Vince to speak on it a little bit. But I'm even somewhat uh, doubtful of that, you know, just maybe um, I'm not understanding like that. It probably serves them really no benefit to just kind of bring the news up. Um, but uh, anyway, c- kind of getting back to this, like I-, I certainly don't expect, you know, this to be solved through a John Cena response. Um, I some part of me kind of wonders if we're looking too deep into into this, like to try to pull too much out of it to 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 be able to you know say say uh, how much can we really kind of conclude maybe what we can say that is like you know the way Cena seemed to couch this as like a guy making mistakes it on the surface just reading that quote definitely seems to minimize you know what what the allegations are so 
I would love, you know, for maybe somebody, if the, if they have an opportunity to continue to ask him about something like this, but seeing the, the response that even an answer get, like, like that, get, you know, seemed, seemed to create, um, he probably won't want to talk about it that much more. Yeah. And it was just interesting that it was a very similar response that we heard from Brian Danielson last year when he was asked by, by Nick Hausman about this at the StarCast event. And he said that in general, uh, when, when it comes to Vince, uh, is maybe it's more about love. If you love somebody, uh, it's that people make mistakes and you love them regardless. And both of them invoking love that they have for Vince McMahon. And mm-hmm. I, I would be very curious if Vince McMahon truly has that friend or friends of his. Like, think about what his life has been that we have known. It's all tied up in, in work where he has people working underneath him. And to have that network of people that would be those to talk to a Vince McMahon and, and yeah. actually have friends that would be able to speak with him about why this is wrong. Like well, this, this is the psychoanalysis I, of Vince McMahon that I would love to know. So a few things that are interesting about it is is that the fact that like uh, when, when Danielson said that, I didn't see this turn into as big of a headline as when John Cena said it. And there, there think, was a little bit of that. There was uh, some response to it. But you're you're right. And th- I didn't to be see quite honest, negativity. I, and, and to me, there's a big difference because Dave, Brian Danielson is one of the most beloved. And I think like genuinely like good people that that we can tell at least you know from the public's perspective in this industry um and when he says something like that somehow like we we seem to accept it uh, at least you know I, i'm speaking maybe just uh, of sort of the zeitgeist you know um is pretty beloved by this point i would say i don't know not to the level of a danielson brian danielson at least but he's he's okay. pretty widely respected at this point I would say. I, I mean, the the Taiwan thing, I, I think, seems, seems to, you know, off, offer a, a different opinion. That was a bigger okay. non-wrestling story, I would say, the Taiwan thing. Like, that did, that did not get that too much attention within wrestling when it happened. Right, right. But, you know, like, both Cena and Brian have suggested that this is a mistake. I think the big question for me is, does Vince McMahon actually view these as mistakes? Um, or are they mistakes simply on the surface? Or are they mistakes simply from a financial, you know, professional perspective? Like, it, oh, my, my career was ruined. I was ousted from the board as a result of this. Um, don't get caught. Like, you know, like, was it, was it that type of thing? Or does he truly regret his actions? We, we don't know. And I don't know if we will, because I don't know if I'll ever hear, hear Vince talk about it. No, no, uh, that, that's probably not something that he is going to address. Um, at least he hasn't. And he has had. You know, what? what is it, like eight, nine months to, to do so? So anyway, uh, we'll, we'll move on. On Wednesday, WWE announced on the bump uh, through Ric Flair that the great Muda, who they did constantly refer to him as the great Muda, Muda with the graphic of the great Muda. So it does look like he's being inducted in the gimmick, you would think, uh, for the Hall of Fame at the end of the month. I imagine, I, I don't anticipate him showing up in the mask or face paint. Like I think he'll show up like out of character, but he is more well known to a North American audience as the great Buddha than KG Buddha. I guess so. Um, yeah. So it's like, he, like I guess how Kevin Nash is more well known as diesel than Kevin Nash. Uh, that's, I, I guess so. Yes. So he's going in. I, I don't think Ric Flair explicitly stated in the segment that he is inducting him, but I guess that's what people are assuming. And, you know, he did note the fact that 
Reed had just completed a tour of all Japan and it even teamed with Mudo on that tour. Um, just, and the tour ended about a week or so before Reed's death in March of 2013. So, uh, there's not just the, uh, history of Flair and Mudo as performers, but that, uh, connection as well, where mm-hmm. Flair had flown over there, uh, as well for that, uh, all Japan tour at, at the beginning as, as well. So, uh, so we have great Muda and we have Rey Mysterio thus far. Uh, Stacey Keebler is expected. And I guess we'll see if, if, if there's a fourth or do they go with the three? Uh, but that's kind of what we're looking for, for the Hall of Fame class. We'll see exactly how small this class might be. You know? It's like WCW 2000 with, uh, with Muda, Stacey Keebler and Rey Mysterio. Remember, Mudo was there with uh, Vampiro during wow. this. Wow. <laughs> so who else from the classes, who else from that time might be going in, you think? Uh, Bill Banks, maybe. Uh, Ed Ferrara. Bill Banks. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, that, that, that's quite the, uh, the pickup there. Okay. <laughs> the Bellas have departed WWE. Their deals were up and they uh, are opting to leave the company and they are now marketing themselves under their names of Brie and Nicole Garcia. So they are not, they are not going to be known as the Bellas any longer. And Nikki did a Instagram live video on Wednesday and stated pretty clearly, we are not going to AEW and said that we were at the pay-per-view in San Francisco so that her son, Mateo, could see her uncle, Brian Danielson, wrestle, which would be very late and very long. There is no way my kid and, would. And very violent. for Very violent, too, child. but yeah. I look at it, uh, the length to me would have been, like, there's no way my kids would, would watch a 65-minute. I don't think they'd last watching a five-minute match. Yeah, I don't know if an Iron Man match is, you know, I mean, that's like an entire wake window almost. Like maybe, you know? maybe like cut it down and put in like a TikTok video. It's like, here are the highlights. And he loses at the end where MJF is uh, talking to Birdie and Buddy into the camera. I wonder if they were watching. Maybe you just show them the first fall and, and that's about as much as you can, you know, get away with. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, it seems like every talent with any sort of career outside of the, their WWE, um, I, I guess, um, run is bound to go through this, you know, um, even if you're a uh, Dwayne Johnson, eventually you'll have to lose your name. Um, and I'm sure this was difficult for them, but at this point, I feel like they'll be more than fine. You know, they have enough ventures outside of the, the WWE that I don't know what they were necessarily gaining from it other than the ability to keep that name. Um, at this point, I think they're, they're both established enough just as Nikki and Bree that they probably don't need it. Then we have Will Ospreay. He's out of the New Japan Cup due to a shoulder injury that was sustained this past Monday in the match with Mark Davis. So originally he was just going to miss the show on Wednesday, they had announced. And then on Thursday, or sorry, on Wednesday, they stated that he is in fact out of the tournament and Mark Davis is back in the tournament to take Ospreay's spot. So today's show saw uh, David Finley beat the Great O'Conn and Shota Umino went uh, 26 minutes with Zack Sabre Jr. and pinned him after using the death rider and thus pins the tv champion and advances in the tournament probably will get a title shot down the road so our quarterfinal matches see evil taking on mark davis and lij members tetsuya naito and sonata will meet on friday then saturday it's tamatonga against hiroki goto and david finley against shota umino with the semifinals on sunday and the final next tuesday so way who do you feel will be meeting in the finals here 
Okay, well, I mean, I'm I'm going by, you know, um, your suggestion, and I'm in agreement with your suggestion about David Finley going all the way to the end. And on the other side, um, I think a Finley versus Naito would pro. Okay, that, Finley- that's what I'm thinking as well. Is Naito and Finley in the in the final? I think two believable winners. I guess there's the yeah that 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 that's what I'm leaning towards. Yeah, um, and Finley versus Okada, like, that still feels like such a huge step up for me that, like, um, maybe a Naito Okada feels even a bit more likely. Um, Do they want to go to that? Can they, like, do you tell me how viable is it for them to go to a Naito versus Okada at this point versus maybe a You could certainly do it. Like, that's a a worthy match to do at at a sumo hall. Um, I I would say that... Finley is still my pick to to win this thing that I feel like they have clearly put the rocket on him and they're going to just go all the way with him in the, in this tournament. Um, there's still the part of me that looks at evil who has just been beaten like a drum. Uh, could they just do some uh, upset w- with him in this? Uh, I certainly see him beating Mark Davis. I don't think they're going to go with Mark Davis uh, beyond this, but you could do mm-hmm. Naito and evil in the final four. And then Finley on the other side with, uh, Probably with, with Tamatonga. Uh, you, you could you could go with that one. So uh, that's coming up later this week. And next Tuesday, uh, WH and I will be doing a review of the finals of the New Japan Cup uh, up on the cafe. So you can look forward to that on Tuesday. Raw on Monday did 1,705,000 viewers, 0.53 in the demo. So uh, a rare week. They were not number one on cable. They were behind the NBA. They... Uh, they dropped 7% in viewers, but were up 2% in the demo. So like SmackDown, down in overall viewership, but up in the demo. They had a small increase in women in 18 to 49, and uh, 18 to 34 was uh, also up uh, 6%. It was the 50-plus audience that dropped, and that's the reason their overall viewership had a lower average. And um, peaked in the second hour, and in Canada, they did over 358 thousand viewers it was their second highest number of the year behind the raw is 30 special and this beat every episode of raw last year in canada so smackdown did a monster number on friday and raw did a monster number on monday like anytime you're doing over three hundred thousand viewers that's a big show in in canada for pro wrestling so um they they were well above that figure and you know this was above like what they did after wrestlemania last last year so it's it's very hot at this moment in canada how competitive is raw with dynamite in canada or vice versa i guess it's not competitive at all right now. Dynamite is it, dynamite is really uh, stagnated. Stagnated. It's ahead of NXT, but not by a giant margin anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it, it is Raw number one. SmackDown is up, but it's still number two. And then it's it's a pretty big depart. Like Dynamite last week, I think did seventy six thousand viewers to compare. Raw did three fifty eight wow. this week, so oh it's God. a it's a pretty monster gap at the moment. NXT in the U.S. did five hundred ninety thousand viewers and a point one five. This is down from the Roadblock special last week, uh, but seventy six thousand in Canada, which is their highest in four weeks as well. And the angle on the show saw Grayson Waller show up at Johnny Gargano's house 
while Johnny Gargano was in the ring addressing the crowd. So he jumped to the back, got into his car, and for the next hour and 45 minutes of this episode, drove home. He does not live around the corner from the Performance Center. So he gets home, and there is Grayson, who's been outside. Granted, it's Florida. I guess it's not that cold. But he's been outside in the yard for an hour and 45 minutes waiting for Johnny Gargano. And they brawl in his front yard. Candice and Quill... Quill is up way past his bedtime. This kid is one. Oh, you like your, it? I mean, kids, your... kids like to watch wrestling, um, you know? Uh, well, he got to see it in person. I don't know which kid got to see more violence in the last week, Mateo or Quill. Hmm. So they do this brawl where it's Grayson Waller that throws dirt in Gargano's eyes and beats Gargano up and leaves him laying in front of his kid and Candace and Quill are there looking over Johnny, who is uh, he's Johnny restless on or, or I said Johnny resting uh, on the ground. This was quite the intense <laughs> angle at the end. It was it was a little wacky. It was a little bit of a Triple H, Randy Orton vibes to it. But, um, you know, there, there was like uh, this idea of like laying out this man right in front of his family. Um, I, I continue to be uh, very impressed with Grayson Waller. I just think he's got. um He's got a, a really great uh, demeanor as a heel on this show. So that was the big angle. And on Roxanne Perez, she was not on the show. And they're now doing a ladder match for the title, which they didn't out and out say it's vacant. But the way it was positioned is that they're going to do a ladder match to determine the new champion. So whether Roxanne Perez ends up returning to be in this ladder match or not, um, the ladder match has Zoe Stark, Gigi Dolan, and more qualifying matches to come. And then they did a contract signing for Braun Breaker and Carmelo Hayes. Hard for me to imagine that she won't be on the show. You know, like it, it's it's WrestleMania weekend. You know, you would imagine a bigger spotlight on NXT than usual. So I imagine they're just setting up for her, you know, return. Um, but I, I mean, I, I, I kind of like the fact that they're doing these big angles. You know, it, it's it's getting it's out of the ordinary. Gets them out of um the the performance center and gets people talking. Like last week, you know, the the angle with with Roxanne um did really well online, and I imagine this stuff with uh, Grayson Waller will probably do pretty well online on on YouTube as well. Yeah, the interesting thing with Roxanne is that prior to the match last week, they had started to build up Tiffany Stratton going for the title. And then uh, Lyra Valkyria also issued a challenge. And then none mm-hmm. of that was addressed this week. So I, I, I seriously, I don't know if there was some existing issue with Roxanne Perez that they have changed plans or if they're just going this direction, she's going to show up and be in this ladder match. So how many more spots are, are vacant in the ladder match? I think it's, I think it's four total and they've yeah, put so it you two. could imagine maybe they're setting up you know those those it's few. possible you're right you're, you're right they could end up putting in tiffany and valkyria in there and then roxanne perez makes her comeback and takes on the other four um that would make two five ways on this show because wesley is also defending his north american title against uh four others so they are cramming <laughs> a lot of people onto this show but nonetheless that was nxt and the last uh, bit of news is ufc 286 this weekend not the deepest card, but on top, it is the third fight between Leon Edwards and Kamaru Usman, who had their rematch last August in Salt Lake City, Utah, a hotbed. For MMA, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, um, a lot of roots there with the, with the UFC, aren't there? Um, well, there are a lot of shows in Salt Lake. 
No, not really. It was just oh. a random location that they, they went to. So in the last fight, uh, Kamaru Usman had been coming in, had come into that fight with a 19 fight win streak. And he did lose the first round to Leon Edwards, even got taken down and came back, won the second round, won the third round, won the fourth round. And Leon's corner, I mean, they are just giving it to him in between rounds. They're like, dude, you're going to blow this. And in the fifth round, it's they have immortalized this now into the commercial. You have Rogan and Cormier who are basically stating, you know, Leon Edwards, he needs a miracle here. Like this thing's over. And you have John Anik who says, but that's not the cloth that he is cut from. And dude, within a minute or two, Leon Edwards lands a head kick and knocks Kamaro Usman out cold and wins the welterweight title. It was quite the, it was the knockout of the year last year. So this rematch, it's interesting because Kamaro Usman is still like a minus 230 favorite going into the rematch. And it's one of those rematches where if you're Usman, you know, you were winning this fight and then you got nailed with a head kick. How much do you change from your last fight versus what do you chalk up to just a lapse in judgment and getting caught by Edwards? And for Edwards, this is going to be in London, England at the O2 Arena. So he is going to be uh, a superstar here, much like uh, our main event in Winnipeg tonight. So it's a it's an interesting fight. And whether, you know, a lot of these fights when you have the rematch it tends to favor the guy who won the last fight but Kamaru Usman he's he's he is getting up there he's now 35 years old so Edwards is the younger fighter and yeah they're they have each won one against each other and this will probably be their last fight on Saturday and then Justin Gaethje is taking on Rafael Fiziev in lightweight action Gaethje has had 10 fights in the UFC. They have been among the 10 most exciting fights you could ever put together of one fighter. He has fought for the title several times, but has never won one. Uh, Fiziev is on the come up here. After his first fight in the UFC, he got nailed with a... With like a legit black mass, okay? That's what like knocked him out. It was an unbelievable knockout. And he came back and he won six fights in a row after this loss. But you watch this knockout, it's like, man, Justin Gaethje catches you. This guy could be put to sleep. But Fiziev has won six in a row, very impressive fashion. He's beaten uh, Hanato Moicano, Bobby Green, and Brad Riddell in his last three. So this is a major fight for Fiziev because if he gets a win here, he will be into the uh, the upper echelon at lightweight. But this is still a fight Gaethje can win, and he has gotten a lot more. Um, he, he doesn't tend to just get into these wild firefights as he used to, but he will still brawl and he will still have um, you know these very exciting fights. And he's also got a wrestling background that he never uses, so um, there's always that uh, potential that he. Uh, could change his game up here. But that's a, that's a very intriguing number two fight. Those are the big fights uh, coming up this weekend. Uh, Marvin Vittori is also fighting Roman uh, Delize, important fight at 185 pounds. And uh, Gunnar Nelson is back, taking on Brian Barbarina, which is on the main card. So this is a 5 p.m. Eastern pay-per-view, so a much earlier show. And that means Eric Marcotte and I will be live uh about a half hour after the main card. So look out for that Saturday night here on the YouTube channel. If you subscribe, uh, turn on your notifications and you will be alerted when Eric and I uh, go live. Uh, pretty much as soon as Way is out the door here, well, we'll be going live because uh, I know Way just wants to catch the main event and then he'll be off for his, uh, his Saturday night uh, birthday party plans. Uh, yeah, you know, you know it, John. Yeah, I mean, my plans will be to watch the post show, isn't it? That's all the, the celebrating I need. 
Wei's been harassing me all week by text, asking me my thoughts on Usman Edwards, and we've been going back and forth. So I know, Wei, you're at the edge of your seat for Saturday to come. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. And John. I know everyone was excited for Great American Bash 1988 to arrive on Tuesday on the Post Wrestling Cafe, the fight for freedom. Rick Flair, Lex Luger, freedom at stake. Unfortunately, Lex Luger was not free to bleed, according to the Maryland State Athletic Commission. But we won't spoil this result from uh, 35 years ago. But it's a show that featured um, quite the ending to a main event and quite the introduction of the Tower of Doom. The introduction and I think the... um... The end of the Tower of Doom, a one night only thing, uh, a very special triple decker cage. If you are a fan of Ready to Rumble, well, I mean, maybe you you'll get to see the inspiration behind uh, the lovely triple decker of cage and uh, and why uh, you'll question, you know, did they decide to go with that concept? Um, I think it's interesting to like, you know, think about how, how you can create a new wrestling match. Like we don't see new stipulations all that often these days. And I think maybe it's for good reason because it's incredibly hard to come up with a brand new professional wrestling concept, especially when it, when it, when it's cages. Um, so you'll get to see this experiment from Jim Crockett promotions from 1988, the tower of doom. Uh, we had a lot of fun talking about it and hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. And uh, John, what did you watch? The great American bash, 1988. Where did I watch it? Yeah. What service? I, uh, I was not in Baltimore that night, so I watched it on the WWE Network. The WWE Network, which in Canada is still very much its own thing. Um, so those of you who want access to it, well, maybe you should get on a VPN. NordVPN, our thanks to sponsor of the show, of course, once again this week, you know about the financial benefits of using a VPN. You can sign up for cheaper subscriptions in other parts of the world. You know about the benefits of being able to access geo-blocked content, the ability to sign up for services you can't get in your country, like AEW Plus, for those of us here in North America. Today, let's talk about online privacy. John, if you do any sort of downloading, and I know you're a huge downloader, John, you know, just like uh, every I'm running Napster as we speak. I just (laughs) got the new. Huzzah. You you, you just, you know, you still. um, Then you must be very concerned, John, about unwanted tracking from advertisers, ISPs, phishing sites, hackers. Yes. A trusted VPN helps mask your IP to protect your browsing. NordVPN is one of the most established and reputable VPN providers in the field, rated 4.5 out of 5, according to PCMag. With over 5,000 servers from around the world, Nord has doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Sign up. Yeah, you don't want that, John. I mean, you know, you have enough trouble, I think, with your uh, drinks um, next to your laptop. You know, you don't need viruses uh, getting in the way as well. So sign up through NordVPN.com slash post wrestling. Receive a bonus month on all two year subscriptions with a 30 day money back guarantee. And if you don't like it after the 30 days, just cancel it. Pretend it never happened. Again, NordVPN.com slash post wrestling. Let them know you found out about them through us. Our thanks again to Nord for their supportive post. Yes, and that will take us into Dynamite from Wednesday night at the Canada Life Center in Winnipeg, Manitoba, brought to you by Shazam, Fury of the Gods. 
Is this yeah. going to get a 4.5 out of 5 from PC Magazine? Something tells me it's not. I don't. I don't know how well these uh, DC movies tend to do. Um, they they could certainly use the the good press. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how this one will do. DC needs a win, doesn't it? Well, sorry, uh, you just cut out there. That's okay. Not not a good sign for Shazam's Fury of the Gods that it's oh. killing our signal as as we speak. But uh, nonetheless, in all seriousness, um, this was you know a, a clear sign of like their. Uh, importance of AEW to just be a poster for this show all night long. Like they had uh, the signage all over the ring, the entrance, they aired a trailer later in the show. So um, didn't quite understand the tie-in with the international title, but it was presented all over the show. I wonder what they could have tied it in to. Um, that would have made sense. Maybe when the orange punch hit, like a graphic like the Batman series could have popped up and gone Shazam over the screen. I, I think they should have had um, negative one come out in the final uh, match. And then he could have or like, you know, in the in the in the uh, Dark Order match, he could have said Shazam and turned into like a, an old version, big version of negative one. He that's the whole Stu Grayson. Okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, if Preston Vance wasn't, you know, uh, split up, I mean, he would have been really a perfect Shazam, like Captain Marvel, to a negative one. Well, it started with the rebar mitzvah as MJF came out alongside four women. And Excalibur says that bar mitzvahs are usually not this bad. And MJF immediately sets the tone by telling the audience that Sean was better than Brett. So I think he was coming out here with the expectation that um, he might get cheered. So he had this one immediately to uh, defuse the crowd. So he says that his religion is the only one that matters. They are the chosen people. He already had his bar mitzvah, but after March 5th, he became the best wrestler in the world. He is not merely a human, but is an Iron Man. And it's probably the uh, moniker he will be going by now. Would they have enjoyed the Iron Man uh, plug, uh, you know, on a show dedicated to Shazam? I don't know if that might have crossed promotional guidelines mm. uh, for, for uh -oh. DC. Disney character. That's right. Yes. Mm. So then the, the bar mitzvah itself begins and we get the individuals running down with the chair. Forgive me. I don't know what this is called, but this seemed like a lot of fun and the crowd was into this. They were clapping along They're holding hands around the chair, and then Jack Perry has to ruin the party and interrupts this. I almost thought this was a bit of a, this crowd was not ready for this to end so quickly. Maybe culturally insensitive to come in and ruin somebody's rebar mitzvah. Yeah, it's like this Jack Perry is living in the Stone Ages. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing you, you don't have that report uh, yet, John. I do. Do you want us oh, to get yes, I, yeah. our official Please. correspondent, Jonathan Pine? I thought they did a good job. Sadly, we didn't get a cantor singing his theme song or a, a, a bema, but the visual of the chosen people rushing down the entrance ramp with a chair to perform the hora with MJF was fantastic. The added touch of the blue and white streamers and balloons was very nice. I was hoping they would recite. I'm not even going to try this word. The, the, the shit. The, I can't. I can't for the life of me pronounce this. This is like the hardest word I have ever seen in my life. The... No, I owe it to people to try this one. The the Shehecha Chan Yenu. <laughs> I have no idea. 
Uh, work the phlegm for the second he, he says in this. The traditional Jewish prayer that is said before events. But he can save that for the fall during the high holidays. A 10 out of 10 segment. I can't wait for MJF to have a child so we can have our first pro wrestling bris. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if we'll get that one on uh, Dynamite. Maybe on... Um on rampage <laughs> i don't know <laughs> uh <laughs> thank you john pine uh i wanted to go to this one too because uh it comes sure. to us from comes to us from david porges from israel who sends 6990 um israeli dom- denomination yeah, I, not, I, I, not I, dollars yeah not dollars he says it was nice to see some jewish representation on dynamite don't remember the hot girls making out part in my bar mitzvah though Mazel tov on your birthday away. I'll be donating to your WWF Canada in your name. Thank you so much. Yes. Uh, you, you should definitely explain where he's donating to. <laughs> <Yeah. It> is... <laughs> uh, Way uh, has joined the WWE, folks. I've joined the he's, WWF. He's, he's launching the Canadian <laughs> office once again, and uh, he is the new Carl DeMarco uh, of Canada. That's it. Yeah. Uh, no, um, I wish. Uh, I, I'm actually doing a CN Tower climb um, a month from now, and, and it's in, it's in uh, support of the WWF, the World Wildlife Fund, and uh, I'm I'm trying to raise funds. So uh, if you go to my social media um, at Way0937, you will find a link if you so uh, choose to support my goal of reaching all 1,776 steps of the CN Tower. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> very funny thank you very very much david for the support <laughs> anyway so well comprehensive coverage i would say of this rebar mitzvah so what so what's the consensus here hot girls aside was it accurate it sounds like they they were very um faithful to the bar mitzvah tradition okay well wonderful so jungle boy is out but before he can speak sammy guevara comes out and then darby allen so we get the four pillars in the ring together and standing in each corner. It, they're in each corner. Yes. I, I did like the, the, the layout of this, this whole thing. And MJF is furious for all of them trying to ruin his rebar mitzvah. All of them on, in sync state that they want a title match. And we get each one getting their chance to make their case. Jungle boy states that at double or nothing, 2020 MJF cheated to beat him. And after that match, MJF went on to be handed everything while I continued on dark. You've never wrestled on dark. You've never wrestled on elevation. I don't think you've even wrestled on rampage. This locker room busts its ass and they try to get maybe 60 seconds a week of TV time while you take up 20 minutes for the same hokey bullshit you've been doing for four years. This place revolves around you and the first step to correcting that is taking the title off of you. MJF explains, unlike you and everyone else in that locker room, I'm actually a star here. And Guevara pipes in stating that he will make this rebar mitzvah a re-circumcision, which is quite the threat. I, how would that work? I don't know how you re-circumcise. I would hate to even imagine. Like what, like they you- didn't get it all the first time? I, I don't know. This would probably this would probably be where Warner Brothers Discovery does put their foot down on content. He says that you talk too much. You kissed ass to get here. Meanwhile, I had to grind and work at Whataburger and Subway to get here. And I was initially told that I was just going to be the inner circle's job guy and take bumps for Jericho. But I went on. I became a champion. 
and the machine never pushed me. And he's telling this story and it's like his rise and working hard and taking all these dead end jobs to get here to a company. And then just out of nowhere, like not like these Canadian idiots, it just comes out of nowhere. It's like this whole crowd was behind Sammy Guevara. And then he just reminds them, I hate all of you. And um, he became too much of a baby face. I think he realized. I guess so. But to me, it, for, for this night, I think you could have just rode this wave and you were basically going to be with the bi- one of the biggest baby faces on the show in the main event. So I don't think we really had to just throw this line in to make sure you get booed at the end of it. It just felt so off from the message. Uh, and then Darby is the last one here. And he speaks of going to film school 10 years ago. And he turned in a film and was told to change everything because we don't accept movies of this this nature. And no, I think... N- yeah, no, knowing that Darby Darby went to film school, I kind of feel explains a whole lot, you know, not um, just maybe about like obviously the creativity, but also um, the, the films, the short films that he seems to do every single weekend and just maybe also. Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot. I would love to know the other side of this conversation with the professor that has their side of the story. It was like, no, no, no. There was nothing about the uh, what was on the video. We could not show this video to yeah. in, in a classroom. Okay, this was yeah. basically a snuff film. Yeah, yeah. So he instead of editing the movie, he dropped out of school and became a pro wrestler, which is, that's one solution to your problem. And he told everyone he would either succeed or fail as Darby Allen, but he would never change. And he might be the worst businessman, but he told Tony Khan, I will never be the subject of a bidding war because I'm never going to leave, which is the Jay Briscoe story that everyone told after his passing that, you know, he when him and Mark's contracts were coming up, they would go in and they'd sit down. And before they even get into talking, Jay would go. Now, let's just get this out of the way. There ain't no way we're leaving here. And they just throw their leverage out the window. So looks like mm. Darby took from, from that school of thought. And then speaks about the fact that he is so sick of grown wrestlers complaining on Twitter about their television time, about contracts. And that includes you, MJF, with this bidding war crap. And AEW means more to me than it does to you. And if I don't get what I want... Then I'm going to complain on Twitter. I'm just joking. I'm going to attack you with my skateboard and beat you with a headlock takeover. A callback to their match at Full Gear 2021. And this was almost like the roast of MJF. And then at the end, he gets the mic to go through each one. And he takes off his glasses, revealing his eyes all messed up from the match against Danielson that you could see. I mean, it looked even worse uh, when he posted the photo last week where that that knot that we mentioned was on his forehead. It had drained into his eye. So his mm. eye, it looked like he had a broken orbital, but did not they were bloodshot yeah yeah it it looked terrible but yeah Mm -hmm. he's got like black eyes like he just he looked black eyes i kind of sense more might have more been makeup but i mean yeah like they did not look good no and he says that you know jungle boy with christian sammy guevara with jericho and darby with sting he's the only one that never had to enroll in aew daddy daycare and have allegiances you guys are all pillars but i'm the only one that can keep this place up i've beaten each one of you in singles matches and tells them all to leave pie faces jungle boy and it leads to a big brawl and mjf gets knocked off the apron and into his cake 
keeping the tradition alive of cakes in professional wrestling. But this was a very rare 20-minute opening segment on Mm -hmm. Dynamite. This post-wrestling podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast, their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister. And putting away more money for retirement, because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Yeah, um, and I know like maybe, you know, AEW had, has shied away from it because it's such a trope of a WWE show to start the show off with a 20-minute segment. I certainly didn't mind it here. And in fact, I kind of enjoyed, you know, the emphasis on getting to see the personalities of several of these other, you know, roster members. I mean, um, MJF, of course, yeah, like they, they're complaining about him taking up the, the show too much with these 20 minute segments. But I mean, look at the spot that where, where he's at, you know, he's a guy who could talk this well. And I think he's definitely deserving of these, um, you know, 20 minute spots. Um, the other three, I thought this was a great way to maybe um, elevate the other three pillars because you already have MJF in a very credible and a very established main event role. Um, and now to give that level of spotlight to some of these others, um, certainly at least diminishes that gap a little bit more. Um, Jungle Boy, I think really benefits. I thought he he had some great lines here and um I don't know if like he's believable right now as a title contender, but at least he should, you know, put himself in the conversation so that he eventually gets to be seen that way. Sammy Guevara, I kind of feel like is way down. Um, like he could talk and I thought he sounded great here, but he's been such a, you know, faction guy for so long. And like it, 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 it's, it's definitely maybe hardest for me to take him seriously. Darby, I think, is very much next in line. You know, he's a guy who um, has just been fantastic um, in singles feuds. He's been multiple time TNT champion. And I think he's the type of guy that the crowd is certainly ready to see take that next step, at least challenging for a world championship. And I I see him coming out of this as the one that uh, MJF might face next. Uh, Probably not big enough for a pay-per-view match, but I mean, for a big addition of Dynamite, I, I like that a lot. So you're seeing one coming out of this. You don't see a four-way as a potential direction. Not necessarily. Because I think that is sort of what you are left here of like the idea of the four pillars. Like this is as ready a time as you can to, if you were to do such a match, this would seem like the time to do it. And to be quite honest, when I, when I look at this, like this is a, this is a viable path that you can do. And, and you could, you could certainly get a lot of matches out of this. You could also do the four way. Mm-hmm. I also feel that if you're stating that like there's this countdown clock attached to his career, MJF and Sting, there is something to that match that I think would generate a lot of interest from people. No doubt. Absolutely. Um, and you could argue that might be like of the available options of just yeah. something different and MJF being the perfect person that could be put in that kind of a situation. Like, I think there is something there with an MJF sting match. It's to do at some point before sting is done. It would be fun, but I mean, sting hasn't had a singles match in AEW yet, you know, um, that's and, part and, of the intrigue. Yeah. I, and I guess like, I, I wonder if, if, 
we want to break down that mystique. Like it could potentially expose Sting, you know, to put him in the ring for that long. He can't just rely on like a big stunt, you know, like he has to actually wrestle at a, at an MJF world title standard. And, uh, you know, are they brave enough to, to put him in that situation? I think if you, if you threw on like title versus career as well, I mean, that is like, that's a big match that you can do. And Mm -hmm. yeah, Sting is not missed I, in these in these matches, and I think this would be the next challenge of doing a main event world title match that is a different level of ask on on Sting, who is what sixty three this year, sixty four. Yeah, like I feel like his retirement match at this point will, might might if he chooses to retire, I think it makes maybe more sense to have Darby, you know, be that person. Um, but that's also incredibly difficult, like maybe even more difficult than an MJF match for Sting to go alone. Well, they showed highlights of uh, Premier Heather Stephenson handing Jericho an honorary street name. I, I think it was the street he grew up on that they temporarily named Chris Jericho Way. Temporarily? So what, how long How long do they... I think that's the gimmick in all the places. When you name the city, it's like it's... it's they put up a sign, but it's not permanently renamed oh, the city. Because it would be a real nuisance for all the people that live there, right? Um, to have to change their addresses and... A pain driver's license imagine imagine having to update your credit card to <laughs> reflect your new street name it would just be yeah. way too much work but it's a nice gesture when someone's in town john moxley claudio castagnoli and wheeler yuda against hangman page evil uno and Stu grayson if there was a guy that to me <laughs> made a hell of an argument to be re- rehired it was Stu grayson i thought he was fantastic in this match no doubt, yeah. Um, I I kind of feel um like you know this was an audience that recognizes the that Stu Grayson is no longer a part of this company, and they they recognize of course that he's Canadian, and they saw this as a special attraction to see Stu Grayson back, and they certainly let him wrestle like like he was a special attraction tonight. They hit Grayson with a spike pile driver on the floor, and then Moxley hits him with a second one in the ring. The hot tag is made to Hangman, and the crowd goes nuts. And eventually, uh, Moxley is tagged in with Hangman, and the crowd gets to their feet in anticipation just to see these two guys fight again. And it sees Paige hit a big lariat, but then Yuta stops the buckshot by nailing Hangman with the ring bell. So Hangman is down on the floor. Uno and Grayson continue to fight, and Uno's knee gets chop-blocked. Grayson then dives over the corner with a dive onto Claudio and Uno hits the paradigm shift onto Moxley. Grayson returns with the 450 and this crowd, they are biting on near falls that Uno and Grayson are going to pin John Moxley. They hit the fatality on Moxley. Yuta is in for the save and then Grayson dives for the tag. Uno is yanked to the floor and it ends with the pop-up, the pop-up uppercut onto Grayson and Moxley applying the rear naked choke for the tap in 1325. Won't release the hold so he puts the bulldog choke on as Uno is in and then the BCC triple team Uno and that leads to Silver and Reynolds running down as BCC exits through the crowd. But man, this this was a great six man to open the show. Really, really excellent match. You know, we we continue to see what what the BCC look like as heels, and I mean, they're they're arguably better than when they are as baby faces because they're just that much more vicious and very easy to hate. Surprisingly, you know, given that uh, Boxley is such a fan favorite, but it's especially when you have somebody um, that I think they're very strategically brought back in a, in a Stu Grayson who seemed very beloved by this Winnipeg crowd. Um, 
it was very easy to hate the BCC for, you know, continuing to beat him up and to uh, hold that choke on for a little too long. Um, I love seeing the, the Smash Brothers, you know, do their um, um, double team moves. Um, crowd reacted really well to those. And uh, yeah, this is, you know, the BCC furthering, furthering themselves into the dark side. This week now they're actually cheating using weapons. They're continuing to, t- to attack after the bell. It's been a um, sort of a descent into, you know, healness that has felt logical and organic juice robinson cut a promo about attacking ricky starks last week and dropping him on his previously injured neck and the replays of this look pretty incredible where they pretty much spiked ricky right on top of his head in the attack last week jade cargill is out and The whack-ass Canadian challenge is answered by 17-year veteran Nicole Matthews. I thought this was cool that Nicole Matthews, I think, like, obviously, if you're you're following uh, Shimmer over the years or women's wrestling, um, you know, she is a name that you would know. But I I could imagine there's an audience, too, that doesn't know her. But, you know, long-time wrestler going back to 2006 and... The bell rings, and boom, she's hit with a pump kick and jaded, and she gets pinned in 42 seconds. So um, anyway, she was pretty much our distraction for the next whack-ass Canadian as Renee gets into the ring and asks Jade what she is looking for in her competition, and Jade looks at Renee, aren't you from Canada? And takes the microphone away from her and asks if that is all Canada has to offer, and thus Taya Valkyrie comes out to answer the challenge. Excalibur has heard the rumor that she is a free agent and she drills Layla Gray in the ring and hits the road to Valhalla. And it seemed like the announcers either it it almost seemed like they they more so sold it as she was using Jade's move onto Layla Gray. Mm-hmm. But in fact, we have a feud here with women that have the same finisher and yeah. Right after the segment, we get the All Elite graphic for Taya Valkyrie, who is done with Impact Wrestling and is now with All Elite Wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, that, that's right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it, it was probably to the advantage of the story to, you know, play it up as if she was stealing Jade's move. And then maybe in the future, they could explain that oh, Taya Valkyrie happens to do this move as well. Um for my money, I thought it looked better than Jade's. So maybe that's something. I like the fact that, you know, they're not simply having somebody change their finisher because somebody in the, on the roster already uses it. The fact that they both do it just happens to, you know, allow you to build to a, a feud between the two. Yeah. Um, you know, Nicole it should, Matthews. It should be the story that, like, here Jade has won all her matches with this move. And here's the person that is an expert with this move and how to avoid it. Like, you, you can do yeah. some interesting stuff with, with this. And mm-hmm. um, it's it's at least some kind of story for, for Jade, as opposed to just beating the female victim of the week. Yeah, exactly. You know, like when you break down those 54 wins, I mean, I think maybe less than a handful that, you know, you might actually consider to be established stars. Um, And Taya is certainly up there. It's an interesting feud for them to book. Ultimately, I think Jade probably continues to, to win this one. Um, But somehow Taya Valkyrie has to kind of come out of this feeling like somebody who, you know, is, is a star. Um, She's somebody who had some NXT exposure. She's had had a lot of impact exposure Um, on the big stage though. I I didn't get too much NXT exposure. 
Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know how well known she is um, outside of like, you know, a hardcore wrestling audience, but the talent is there. You know, the ability is there. So they just have to kind of show it off. She got so. a good reaction when, you know, the graphic mm-hmm. came up on the screen, like they recognized the name instantly. It was a, it was a good reaction. They had over 7000 people in, in the building in Winnipeg. Yeah. Does she join the outcasts? I suppose. Is she does she qualifies as a former WWE freelancer employee? I don't think she was there long enough to be considered a uh, a freelancer, mm, and okay. really wouldn't fit the the role that they're putting her here in as the babyface opposite Jade. So right. probably not. Then they had a recap, or sorry, first we had a Ricky Stark stating that it's easy to attack me from behind. Juice is jealous. He's done nothing in AEW. Bullet Club was relevant in 2015 and challenges him to bring it any place, any time. So Juice is irrelevant, and I am going to. Uh, Waste my time with him. That was what the promo was. Yeah. Well, he seemed to invite more members of the Bullet Club to come and attack him at any point. So who who joins him? Who joins Juice from the BC? Chase Owens. Um, Yujiro. I mean, is House of Darkness still uh, Bullet Club? House of Torture. Sorry, yes. House of Torture. Are they still Bullet Club at this point? They're they're a subsidiary. They're like Anthem Sports Group. Yes. They recapped Wardlow's loss last week, and we get the debut of QTV. Uh, this was done in the style of TMZ, and we've got QT as uh, Harvey Levin, and we get a reenactment of Aaron Solo breaking into Wardlow's car and stealing the TNT title. Um, and then they proceeded to just call. I don't know if it's, this was supposed to be a reenactment. I think they're supposed to, you know, have you think the, that this the idea is, is that this was all a work last week? The the break yeah, in that uh, they broke in to Wardlow's car. Yes. So I guess you you can leave that to your own conclusions. If this was this one, just feels too weird that this was not them just capitalizing on last week's story to make an angle out of it. Like, well, like you, yeah, yeah. Like Wardlow didn't like. I think there's he legitimately had his car broken into. That's but, what I. That's what I'm saying. But, but you had a story, lot of people after this segment that, that thought that this was all an angle, and I, I was, I did not draw that conclusion at all. I didn't either. Like, like yeah, there was no just, point to stealing the. There was no point to any of this other than you're capitalizing on something that you were handed. They made an angle out of a real life event, is how I took it. Okay. Well, then this was a reenactment. In yes, okay. In in real life, it is, but in story. We're supposed to believe that this was them actually breaking into QT's car the first time. Right. Yeah. And then they just wailed on, like, they just buried Wardlow here uh, as a Batista wannabe. And uh, that was great. And then QT tossed Wardlow's passport away uh, because apparently last week when they were in the U.S., he was traveling around with his passport for whatever reason. But and you uh, knew he was going to come to Canada and just, you know, decided to have it on him in case. Okay. Welcome to Will's world, bitch. And that's how this ended. So it was this is this going to have a longer run than Power Slap QTV? <laughs> um, the reaction online was similar to Power Slap. Really, I I didn't hate it. I mean, I, listen, listen, I, I to me like it's 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 a question of whether or not like Hobbs should be a part of this. Um, I felt like it was good for QT. I felt like it was good for Aaron Solo. And I don't know, don't know if you noticed, but RJ City was in the background as well the entire time. I so, did not notice that. So great eye. So he's he's bound to, um, I guess you know, hopefully have a role at some point. I think he'll be great in, in it as well. Like I like it 
as just sort of like an entertaining thing to me Hobbs is still a bit of a weird fit for it I agree like this was certainly an odd role for Hobbs to be in but I think they'll probably continue with this and there's an open challenge for Hobbs that he has set out for Rampage on Friday. We'll get to the opponent later. Orange Cassidy, Jeff Jarrett for the new international championship. Cassidy swapped the old belt with the new one. I cannot decipher the difference between these two titles. When he held it's it up, a, it, it looked a whole lot like identical to the All-Atlantic It's title. exactly the same. It just says international instead of All-Atlantic. So did they, did they spend a lot of money on a new title that's identical? I mean, it's their backup. It's their backup title in case someone breaks into Cassidy's it's, car. It's, it's sure. It's not really a new title. They just they, they realized All Atlantic was a stupid name. Okay. Well, it's uh, it's now the international title. Does that mean it's only defended on international soil? Well, what's international? Everything's international. Well, all all the flags. It's, sure. All the okay. flags that are represented on the on the belt. Only the flags. Well, that would be really limiting, but. Well, the All Atlantic moniker did not limit them either. Yeah. So, what does it mean? It's a belt that Orange Cassidy holds. We can call it the Orange Cassidy title. Um, this was a match that just had uh, Jeff Jarrett being Jeff Jarrett for thirteen and a half minutes, and the audience they got into it. A lot of it was built on Orange Cassidy's existing knee injury that continues to plague him. Uh, he did a leapfrog, lands on the knee, and thus Jeff goes to town on this knee. He goes to the figure four, but instead puts on the sharpshooter. I'm sure people were doing uh, were drawing straws as to who gets the sharpshooter spot in uh, Canada tonight. So Jeff Jarrett won, and well, won the contest to use the sharpshooter. Cassidy reverses it and. With all God. due respect, Orange Cassidy, this was one of the ugliest sharpshooters I've ever seen in my life. And we found an, an uglier sharpshooter than The Rocks, and unfortunately, it went to Orange Cassidy. I mean, he, ha- he does have the excuse of having that knee injury that he was, I guess, selling, but man, this was not good. Yeah, I'm, uh, if maybe, maybe Brett's going to be asked about this one. He'll... He was definitely a Sean guy, I'm guessing, Orange Cassidy. So the sleeper gets reversed. Satnam Singh then snaps Orange's neck on the top rope. And Jarrett gets the figure four. Then Jarrett shoves Cassidy into Bryce Remsburg. So Dutt slides the guitar in. Aubrey Edwards comes in, snatches the guitar away. And Jarrett threatens to hit her. And then Satnam takes the guitar from Orange Cassidy. And Orange Cassidy does the Eddie Guerrero laying on the floor holding his knee. So Dutt and Singh get ejected. And then... Orange makes his comeback with a satellite DDT, does a one-legged kip-up, and Bryce is staggering, and he's with Jarrett as Lethal runs in to nail Cassidy with the Golden Globe. This set a new record for referee distractions and spots behind their backs. I mean, you just have to turn your head off at a certain point to this. Trent then runs down to take out Jay Lethal. Uh, My notes are getting very long for this match of all the characters involved. The knee buckles on the orange punch attempt, but then Cassidy blocks the stroke, lands the orange punch, and wins in 13-36. I, I thought this worked for the crowd, but my God, were there like so much in this match that yeah. your head was spinning by all of the twists and turns uh, to get this crowd to believe Jarrett was going to win. And then ultimately Cassidy prevails. So, you know, this watching this match might have been maybe a, a big part of the reason why I'm so hesitant on seeing a sting singles match in a, a, a big sort of. Oh, like, you're right, because this role. is what you would need for a sting 25 minute 
singles match at the yeah. very least. There were a lot of bells and whistles in this match. This was Jeff Jarrett's first singles match in AEW, um, so you can understand it. But God, did they overload this thing, which is way too many gimmicks. You know, Cassidy's knee, the brawl in the crowd that inexplicably occurred. Is this international picture in picture? They brawl into the crowd and they're out of this ring for ever and so then Bryce when we come back he's he's admonishing Jared to get in the ring it's like why we've been out of the ring for about five minutes at this, this point. was pretty awful yeah like on 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 uh, AW plus they just explained that uh you know referee's discretion he probably doesn't want a title change to, you know but, but uh, due to double count out you know that's We're in the home a- of the Winnipeg Jets that means it's NHL playoff rules yeah well maybe they're using uh New Japan rules suddenly because this uh you know uh as part of the international rules it was longer than a 20 count I mean, really, they should have like just turned this thing into you know a, a no count out match if if they were going to brawl that long throughout the commercial. It, it, that was ridiculous. You had two referees, you had a guitar, you had a Golden Globe, all the Sotnam and Sanjay stuff. Jay Lethal coming in, Trent, way too much bullshit for a match that I I think AEW should never have. Like. AEW has made its sort of like reputation on like really solid wrestling. And yeah, you can have bullshit once in a while, but this was way too much. Um, I did not enjoy this. Yeah. I, I like the knee stuff with, with Cassidy and I did think like the audience, like they did respond well to, to, to Jarrett, but I fell more into your, like it just bought by a certain point by the lethal run in, like the stuff behind the refs backs. It's if you're, Building up and you do a match like this, you can get away with it. But it is such a encumbrance to have uh, this as such a such a trope for so many of your matches of just behind the refs backs. They overusing it would be too kind. Mm. I think like they could have gone all the way wacky with something like this as they have like in, in maybe other matches. Um I I think if there was the Shazam integration, if it was all done for that reason, then okay, yeah, like I might have excused it, but you didn't even have that. So ultimately, like this was only maybe in promotion of of that. This is a preview for the movie. I do not want to see this movie. I don't. I don't want to see two hours of this. Uh, Are there guitar shots or you know, um, a Golden Globe, uh, perhaps? (laughs) Probably not. Then the uh, preview for the main event. So only four matches on this card. but obviously, you wanted a lot of time for the main event, and you had a 20-minute segment to open the show. So uh, lower match count than usual. Uh, the Acclaimed had a music video, and this, was like, this wasn't like this was like a diss track. It was just us hanging out with the fans. and It was a celebration. The, hey, man, yeah, does every, every rap song have to be a diss track? You know, come on, old school. People just like talked about partying and just, you know, having a good time. That's... Seemingly what this was for, for, for a show that I am constantly told it's just we are fighting for television time that it's so precious. I just didn't know what the point of this 60 seconds was. I guess the point was to give you an, an acclaimed segment to, you know, keep them con- uh, in people's minds now that they're not in title contention. Um, yeah, it was just kind of there. Like you definitely in wrestling, maybe you want more of the diss track. You know, you want him to invade somebody's house and. I mean, they are doing the program with Menard and Parker, who we would, would hear from uh, later. But first, the Outcasts are out, Way's favorite group. And they've got their, their video for their entrance. They're equipped with their spray paint, uh, all, all in tandem. Ruby says there was a time that the grass was greener in AEW until a, a couple of bitches came and pissed on that grass. And they are coming to show that AEW 
is their house. And without them, there would be no division. So I was trying to break this down. So they are the bitches that th- this place used to no, be. No, 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 no. They're not the bitches. It was, it was other people. Like they're referring to the others that are the bitches. But they said the grass was greener at a time until these bitches came. How could the grass have been greener when the originals were there? Who made the grass greener? I, I think she's referring to other originals that, that have come into the There's tiers the grass. of originals? How can sure. you be? You can't. You you're can't either an original or you're not an original. <laughs> you can't group There's all no, the originals. This is like pregnant or not pregnant. I, I just don't don't know if, if Ruby was, you know, calling. So the, the original originals were OK. They yeah. made this place great. But yeah. then the second level of originals came and pissed all over this. Yeah, correct. Yeah. But Baker is an original original. Right. Because um, I thought they well, were referring to themselves <laughs> like they have come here and ruined this place. But then they contradicted would, themselves saying, that? well, I didn't get this at all because I was going by the belief that we're the bitches that have come and pissed on this grass. But then they're explaining without us, there would be no division. So have you ruined this place <laughs> or have you been the saviors would, of this division? Yeah, I mean, it would make no sense for, 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 her, for Ruby to complain about themselves ruining this thing. Ruby was saying that this was the place to be. This was the, you know where the grass was greener. But then people like um, – us. No, no, no. People who are some other people that like maybe Jamie Hader, you know, wasn't somebody that was uh, 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 exactly original original. mid tier. The mid tier originals came in and ruined it. Okay, so Tony Storm and Soraya, they are not mid tier. They are. okay. they're they're here to clean this. They're here to save the division. They're here to save the grass. Yeah. Okay. And Baker is just guilty by association. She's an original original, mm. but she's friends with the mid-tier, and that brings you down to the mid-tier originals. Sure, yeah. I was not hating this angle, and, and now I'm getting back to that. <laughs> Soraya calls herself a miracle and refers to the fans as neck, beard, stinky twats. Tony then just decides, <laughs> can we be more blatant with our insults? The answer was yes, because Tony gets the mic. <laughs> hey, fat people. <laughs> Storm brings up how she was the interim champion, not the real champion, and the fans loved when I lost the title to Jamie Hader. And you people don't know what you want, and we are here to give them change in this division. And we are going through all of the rookies. And then she goes to list them off and then goes through uh from Sky Blue all the way up to Baker and Hader. And that thus Hader and Baker run out and they were definitely aware of their location because these ca- these two came to Canada prepared with some official Canadian tuxedos. This was mm-hmm. like Brittany and Justin Timberlake at, at an award show in 2000. Th- that is correct. Yeah. Not a look I often really see in the streets, at least not in Toronto, maybe other parts of the country. No, this is this is not a thing in, in Canada, but it is something. Well, that, not in Toronto, at least. But even in, in the rest of Canada. like I, I, no, one, no one does this ironically outside of Halloween. And yeah, if you do, and people it's don't say total mistake. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, or maybe, I don't know, you're like, you know, auditioning for the uh, Strokes cover band or something. Um, nor do people say A. A. Yeah, I'll be self-conscious if I do. So Hater and Baker, they... Go to spray paint Ruby, but Storm and Soraya stop them, and Destination Unknown is hit to Baker, Storm Zero on Hater, but then Rio runs down with Willow Nightingale, Sky Blue, and they chase them off. So we have our 
are second tier originals of Britt Baker, <laughs> Jamie Hayter, Riho, who's another original original, uh, Willow Nightingale, and Sky Blue. So the 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 multiverse of originals against the outcasts continues, and we now have a five on three uh, numbers situation. Right. Yeah. Um, we need, a, need map. a chart. Yeah. yeah. Really. <laughs> it's hard for me to in my notes i wrote down good segment but you certainly uh you know made me question <laughs> that john um sorry i pissed all over this segment <laughs> yeah this is this lovely grass and suddenly has a yellow spot i thought I, I i all in all i i i'm happy to see that the feud is finally at a point where we can you know say that there are two sides and we know what the characters are i'm happy to see people like Riho, sky blue and willow take a step up and be featured in an actual story um, I think those are positives. I think the fact that the heels now truly do feel like heels with a, a, a purpose, it's all a positive thing. You know, I think they built off of Ruby's promo last week. Well, um, that little sort of, um, I guess, confusion aside. You know, who's taken over the mantle of uh, the Ruby Soho near fall face. Who's that? Athena. Okay. I watched her match with, uh, with Willow Nightingale. Very mm-hmm. good match last week yeah. on Ring of Honor. I've got to say, I, I watched Ring of Honor over the weekend. I'm really getting into that show. Like, it is long, but it does not drag for me. And it's almost like it's it's AEW, but it's like a slowed down version. It's just, it's matches, it's a couple of angles, and it's a fun watch uh, so far. Like, I, I genuinely enjoyed watching the second episode when I did that's a good review yeah i'm at the point now where i'm like still cherry picking you know matches that i hear hear a lot about like the main event from last week um so i think it's it it seems like anybody who's paying for it like i get the sense that they're happy with um 9.99 a month for what they're getting so hey maybe more people will sign up menard and parker they explain they love rap music and that the acclaimed could win a tony award and they're playing hard to get after turning down the JAS twice. So Menard and Parker are going to give them a reminder why they should respect them. So tune into Rampage. So I left this out. I literally wrote down Menard and Parker versus the Acclaimed on Rampage. No, they want the Acclaimed to tune into Rampage uh, to get up that uh, that 18 to 49 number. Uh, because it's Menard and Parker against the Bollywood Boys. Yeah, Return of the Bollywood Boys. Yes, the more they were Canadians. on the, the Toronto shows last October. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taya Valkyrie will have her first AEW match, and Powerhouse Hobbs versus Ray Phoenix for the TNT title. So that's an interesting lineup right there for for Rampage. Yeah, coming off yeah. coming off the the hot number last week, which uh, Brandon Thurston did get the quarters. It was a very successful first quarter, and then kind of went down. Riho was not the. Uh, the giant difference maker to that number, but the big match was the opener with Guevara and Action Andretti. Interesting. Okay, there you go. So, yeah, I mean, Taya Valkyrie making her in-ring debut, I think that that seems big, even though it'll probably be a bit of a squash match, but, um, you know, it's, it's something attractive. Maybe uh, they're going to hold on to uh, Nicole Matthews gets a second match in Winnipeg that night. She gets to get another 60 seconds. Well, we're going to give you a minute to take the, <laughs> yeah. to take the exact same move that Jade same. gave you. She should have the before. same match, like pump kick. She beats Jaded. her in 41 seconds, one <laughs> yeah. second faster than Jade. Yeah. Poor Nicole Matthews. And Dynamite next week, the only thing they've announced so far is Hook and Stokely Hathaway in the no DQ match that has been, uh, well, set up since the pay-per-view. Main event, this is... You know, t- last 20, 25 minutes of the the show, House of Black, the Elite, and the Jericho Appreciation Society for the trio's titles. Huge chant for Kenny as he comes out. And then we've got Ted Irvin 
Chris's father in the front row. He mm-hmm. looked so happy to be at this show. And Jericho, Garcia, and Guevara come out last. Uh, enormous reaction. Obviously, Kenny and Jericho, the big stars of this match. And Kenny had these awesome tights of like the Omega logo with the Winnipeg Jets colors. Um, very cool tights that Omega had. He was going to be a hockey player at one point. He was he was like a very good hockey player at, mm-hmm. at one point. So the crowd is chanting, holy shit, before it even begins. Huge reaction when Jericho gets tagged in. So then Omega tags in. They were very smart. Like they um, they they could have uh, given a cow its run for its money of how they milked uh, locking up in this in this match. They teased this for this crowd so many times before they finally went at it. And it just this crowd, they just wanted to see these two go at it. And they made them wait and wait for it. Uh, and it was well done. Um, there was a. Uh, a point in this where Omega's on the floor and he was Irish whipped into the steps and the way his knee went into these steps, it felt like he hit these uh, steps before he was ready for it. And it just looked like a nasty Irish whip right into the corner of the steps with his knee, but uh, did not inhibit him from the rest of uh, his spots in this match. Um, Omega was in with Matthews. He's hitting snap dragons to black and King. And then Omega and Jericho come back in the crowd. This time they get to their feet and the house of black comes after them and they beat them down. And again, they milk at it, uh, milk it before drilling one another. And there's a huge pop as they're, battling each other Jericho gets nailed with this V trigger looked like he took his head off and Omega goes back to snap dragons and then a V trigger gets stopped when Jericho puts on the walls the Bucks break that up with uh, double super kicks and they hit them all around all six are down we go to another uh, picture in picture break we saw the Terminator dive by Kenny Omega to the floor and then the BCC and Dark Order are shown in the back brawling. It's Hangman Page alongside Silver and Reynolds, and they explain that Uno was taken to the hospital and Stu Grayson went with him. So great endorsement of Canadian healthcare of how quick you can be taken care of. It won't cost Uno a du- it won't cost Uno True. One Uno. <laughs> so the Meltzer driver gets stopped when Jericho catches Nick with a uh Code breaker, Guevara hits a big shooting star onto Matt, but King makes the save. And then we get Dante's Inferno onto Jericho, but Kenny saves Jericho. And that allows Jericho to grab the bat. He nails Brody King with the bat, and Guevara hits a shooting star to the elite on the floor. Brody then kicks out of a Jericho cover, and it's a black mass to Jericho as he's setting up for the Judas effect. And Dante's Inferno onto Daniel Garcia as the House of Black pin Garcia in 2145. This crowd was electric for the start of this match, the middle of this match, the final minutes of this match. When that three count was hit, dude, it was <laughs> Sami Zayn losing to Roman Reigns times yeah. 100. It was the air immediately. It was like they could not believe that they lost. It was just such a deflating end as they realized the House of Black had won. Yeah, I couldn't believe it either. And and you can't tell me that this was a crowd that was like like expecting a title change tonight. I mean, shit, like this was a you know, how they convinced just themselves <laughs> that one of the Winnipeg guys was winning the titles because I cannot remember a match that just it was so Yeah. a punch to the gut of 7,000 yeah. people instantly. 
yeah i'm I'm very curious uh about exactly like what the reaction was why that reaction was was so and jericho and omega were super over to this crowd and that was obviously what they wanted but my god i just i was stunned at just how how deflating it was at, yeah. at the end here and Hey, man, um, maybe it tells you, you know, they did a great job of like keeping the focus on Jericho and Kenny and understanding that this was a crowd that simply wanted to see those two in the spotlight. And they gave them that, I felt, you know, like this match I thought was built around them and Brody King. And that was what I continued to be really happy about. You know, Brody if King anything, to me, it, it, to me, Guevara and Garcia really took the back seats in this mm-hmm. match other than Garcia taking. And, and I say that when Guevara hit like a shooting star to the floor. Um yeah. But of the nine, you're you're going to have your numbers that you know you, you can't focus on everyone, and it was it was Jericho and Omega front and center, and then Brody King as well to a you know secondary degree. Yeah, like coming out of this match, that th- those are the names I remember the most. You know, um, I love the fact that this time, um, like they did on the pay per view, but now this time on TV, giving Brody King that spotlight as the big unbeatable guy, even having Jericho and Omega team up together to be able to take take him down with a big superplex. Um, I think they're doing such a great job with him, and by extension, the entire House of Black. Um, does this, you know, tell you any sort of future direction? I mean, all there's a post match, of course, that kind of tells you right there. Yeah, so to get the crowd back into things, Jake Hager is running down the ramp to assist the JAS, and he goes after the House of Black, and he's outnumbered, and then the Dark Order and Hangman are brawling with the BCC out to the ring, and at this point, I'm like, this is really smart, because... Suddenly, here are five trios teams that are all in the mix, and they brawl into the ring, and it's the BCC alone with Hangman Page. It's three-on-one when all of a sudden, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks stand by Hangman Page, and this crowd goes nuts as they realize what they are seeing, and you've got Excalibur, who is uh, at at an 11, just yelling, What a moment! And that's how the show ends with the RTs of the elite minus one. I thought it was a beautiful close and and the way that they set it up with the cut in from the picture in picture of them brawling in the back um, to the way it played out by the end. You know, they've really not hit on sort of like the hangman reunion with the with the elite um, for a few weeks, at least. But, you know, they did kind of sow the seeds, um, you know, before the during the last pay-per-view cycle and to just kind of spring it up on us um, here at the end of a trios match now that hangman you know was at least involved at the beginning of the show in a trios i thought was really wonderful really really great way to close the show and uh having the bcc including john moxley back back up back up for the first time i don't recall seeing that before so does this tell you um can you see this for blood and guts is this the direction bcc versus a reunited elite well, you need so you need some numbers. Um, I guess you could do like four on four, but that would require Danielson being back or a new member for BCC. I mean, yeah. BCC they could pick up a member at, at some point. Um, it does feel kind of uh, I, I say early. It's usually early May that they've done that match. That's six weeks or so, um, six seven weeks. So that is a bit of time before this all goes. It just seems to me that when the elite finally work together that feels like something like they've been building to this for years at this point now since mm-hmm. the breakup and everyone going their separate ways that i just wonder is this just continuing those breadcrumbs and this felt and- too big though you know usually like that would take place in the form of like some backstage skit this like having a big crowd reaction and actually like chasing down the the bcc t- t- felt pretty direct 
I like this ending a lot because I think both companies could learn from having more of these cliffhangers at the end of the show that you want to tune in next week to see where this goes. Yeah. And they, they've hit on this a lot with the, the Sami Zayn stuff, but and just seeing like, what's the next chapter? What's going to happen here? Uh, I, that's why I like this for the end of the show. Instead of just ending with a hot match, you ended with a question mark and – that to me is the stuff that can build your audience when you can do week to week stuff like that, where you're tuning in for answers as, as opposed to just your regular stories progressing. Yeah. I thought, you know, after like having the elite kind of come up short uh, for the cheers championships, you know, the, twice now, I thought that this would be the time to break them up. But I mean, clearly there's, there's still a lot of story to be told with them as a unit and even adding, you know, their original members in, in hangman page. And I'm very curious to know if they do add another member. And if that other member is somebody that might be, in need of that sort of spotlight, like that would be a wonderful spot for somebody that's just coming up, you know, um, the way that like a Wheeler unit has benefited so much from the, being a part of the Blackpool Combat Club. Um, or could it be Danielson? Could Danielson join the baby or the elite? Um, that would be really weird. But, um, you know, he, I think, would probably work better as a baby face at this point. Anyway, it's interesting. So that was the show in Winnipeg. I would say that the. The main event was an entertaining spectacle, and you got um, an interesting storyline direction coming out at the end of it. I thought that six man was excellent uh, in the opening hour. Um, yeah, that was good, and and I like the pillar segment as well. Like some that's that's going to be too long of a talking segment for some, but I think sparingly. And if it's done well, then I'm all for it. When I thought it was, I I really enjoyed it because we I don't to my recollection have never seen. I don't think we've seen the pillars on screen together at one time before, right? Like all four at once? I mean, probably not. Yeah. Like, so to me, that almost felt kind of monumental, you know, like to, to be able to see these four finally interact with each other and potentially work a program together. Like it felt like the right timing, you know, after having MJF the first, you know, of the pillars to headline a pay-per-view and, and, and do it in such like, you know, outstanding fashion. So I enjoyed the show. Well, we have a lot of feedback, uh, and we will also open it up to Super Chats if you want to chime in with any thoughts on anything, but uh, we'll yeah. do our best to get to as many of these as possible. Uh, let's go to some of your Super Chats, and uh, a lot of them actually today, so thank you guys in advance for all your support. We got Edwin B., who sends $5. He says, MJF is the champion and hates New Japan Pro Wrestling. How will Forbidden T Door 2 go? Will MJF even show up? If he did, who does he face? That's a really interesting point, Edwin. Yeah, I think that there is um, a great story there of him taking on somebody, um, and who and who it is. Um, you know, Could be you, anybody on the roster. Yeah, who? you you don't really have to be limited to any particular person. But uh, with with this story of like he is the Iron Man, he is the be best wrestler in the world. Like he should be taking on somebody that is. Um, Someone's well, first of all, it has to be somebody who can lose because the world champion's not going to lose. And last year, that duty went to Hiroshi Tanahashi, did it not? Uh, Moxley beat Tanahashi. Um, I kind of feel like Tanahashi is sort of like the perfect guy again <laughs> this year to take a loss. Um, is that too much? I wouldn't complain, you know, to see an MJF versus Hiroshi Tanahashi match. I think that sounds awesome. Um, I don't see it being Okada. I don't see it being Naito. I don't think I don't think they would have Naito lose to MJF. What do you think? Maybe a Shibata. Maybe that's that's your match. But you know what? They're they're about to use Shibata on uh on the ROH show. Um, yeah, yeah. That's an I, interesting I, question too. Whether or not Shibata has like actual presence on Forbidden Door. Did, like last year, he did the pose down with Orange Cassidy, right? Um, 
but like we know new japan doesn't want to use him for whatever reason um but will they allow him on a joint show with AEW? depends if mike tyson's on commentary <laughs> sure yeah my pick is tanahashi like that feels right you know from a babyface heel perspective um even though he he was sort of in the same similar role last year yeah um, uh, there's yeah it's you you could certainly go a couple yeah. different directions but I, I, if it's a singles match, yeah, you have to at this point kind of question like what sort what sort of foresight MJF had um, ahead of this pay per view because he's been like you know attacking New Japan Pro Wrestling for years now it feels like and he's now in a perfect position to go completely anti New Japan Pro Wrestling as the champion of AEW and somebody presumably in the main event of Forbidden Door so you know um, I think New Japan has to come back strong with somebody de- defending its honor. So. Yeah, because you you will babyface him to a portion of the audience too. Right, right. Uh, so thank you so much for that, Edwin. Um, so this next series of uh, you might have to help me out here, John, because John Pine or, or Rebar Mitzvah Revere himself has a proper pronunciation. Thank you so much, John, for the uh, super chat. He says Shahechianu. Shahechianu. And what is that again? What's that in reference to? The um, I, I don't know. And uh, John, I think uh, you got this one. This one coming to us again from David Porges. Oh, just just six ninety shekels. He says, "Dikayamanu vehegianu lazman haze amen." All right. I hope I didn't say anything um wrong. Thank you. Let's go. Let's go to Davidian Alter, who says, Mazel Tov to MJF. Thank you for the $5 super chat. Mazel Tov MJF. Yes. Matt Hahn, finally, $5, says, what about Takeshita with the Elite? That would make sense, too. Yeah, yeah. You could certainly. But, he would be the I guy mean, that would benefit, you know, for, from the from being attached to the Elite. Absolutely. Yeah, but we're, we're looking for numbers on the other side as well. Like, that's that's the, the side that needs the numbers. But, yeah, Takeshita makes all the sense in the world to be mm-hmm. uh, aligned with, with the Elite. But um, well, they can pick up a tag team somewhere, you know, the BCC. Who fits in with the BCC as a tag team? Um, I'd have to give it some thought. You, yeah. you could certainly like a, like an FTR, but um, no, but heels, yeah, well, violent heels. Oops, I'm still here. Sorry, there we go. Okay, let us know in the comments. Let us know in the chat room, everybody. Let's go to uh, Bruce, who starts us off. This is a fun show with a main event perfectly built for the live crowd. All of the work that went into building the page elite history pays off whenever it's returned to. I'm really enjoying the firm heel turn for BCC, and it was great to see Vancouver's own Nicole Matthews on TV, if only for a few seconds. The decision to begin with a lengthy promo segment signaled that the rhythm of this dynamite was going to be a bit different. I'm not sure that all of the four pillars jabs landed, but I think a stronger focus on the homegrown talent is the right move coming out of the shuffling of the deck at Revolution. AEW's yet to have had a pay-per-view headlined by two distinctly homegrown stars do you think having mjf defend the title in the double or nothing main event against any one of the three pillars could be justified at this point um there you have it um i really got the sense of like teasing towards uh, a four-way match um but if you were going to isolate it to one um yeah i i don't know if one is significantly stronger than any of the others. I guess you would lean Darby, but I... I, I personally feel Darby is, because I thought their first match was so good. At least their first pay-per-view match was so good, and I think Darby is the most like advanced at this point of, of all of them. Um, 
four way is just like I, I because yeah, it's it's specially themed because of the four pillars here. I just kind of feel like it kind of waters things down ultimately, you know. But they could, they could do that. Um, thank you so much, Bruce, for that. Uh, let's go up next to Muggin, who says the trio's three way was strong and it was elevated by Omega and Jericho. It had been a few years since they've shared a ring. Last time was Double or Nothing 2019, and it felt fresh as Winnipeg went bananas. It was cool to see Taya Valkyrie make her debut and potentially be the one in Jade's record. I'm praying to God that Statlander is the end game for her. And the four pillar segment was solid. I'm glad the House of Black retained and the ending with Hangman. And the ending with Hangman and the Elite crossing paths for the first time in months felt intriguing. Would it be a step back character-wise to reunite with them after what they've put him through? No, it's been like that's been the overarching story essentially of the Elite was always like the idea of the reunion at, at some point. The idea yeah. would be, yeah, uh, to me, it's, it's and like, I think we're already past that point with the story. Like Hangman's already had like positive interactions with with the rest of the elite like they've seemingly just made up they just decided not to team together again so i think we're past that you know and if we can accept Sami Zayn and kevin owens teaming up again i think we can accept hangman page you know teaming up with the rest of the elite all right let us uh continue here with jesse from the six that was the greatest spectacle winnipeg has seen since timu solani scored 76 goals in his rookie year a really fun show my highlight was ted irvine singing along to his son's song in the front row and they got me with the elite hangman setup at the end i'm very intrigued to see where this goes do you know where hikaru shida is she'd be a natural to fit in with the outcast originals uh role she is in japan as we speak um she's been wrestling there recently um as recently as she's doing her zombie show as well yeah so i i don't know how long she's in japan for but that's what's going on she she is wrestling all right we got a jay from colorado who says from top to bottom i was pretty happy with how this show leveled up that main event especially was something special and i'm excited to see the direction the trios division is taking here's something i never thought i'd say i'm really enjoying this chef jarrett run like when he came back, I had zero interest in seeing him on my TV, but he looks great and can put on a compelling match. Finally, I really like QT Marshall, but this QTV thing already feels like a dud. I get that it's supposed to mimic the TMZ style format, but that show peaked like 15 years ago. Hopefully there's more to this. Jomo writes, they've really got to work something out with Stu. This guy's too good not to be on TV regularly. The first movie hits is a slingshot apron DDT, and he somehow gets more wild as time goes on till he got beat down at the commercial break. I know it's easy to say that they have a roster full of TV-ready people not being used, but with a still nascent trios division and a struggling tag division, there's a place for Dark Order, and there's a place for Stu Grayson. The trios wrestling rules, and that's without going in-depth on a bonkers main event that makes me want to see both an elite reunion and a Jericho Omega team-up for any of AEW's fall New Japan, WWE, nor Impact offer these weekly trios matches that are almost always the highlights of Dynamite. Yeah, it's it's been really, I mean, the results have been fantastic so far. You know, like maybe at the expense of, of the tag team division star power, but um, I, I mean, you can't complain about the quality of these matches. They've really made a multi-man title feel special. Um, so... Yeah, I totally agree. Let's go to Sal from California, who says, I really enjoyed the show as a whole tonight. Hangman being rescued by the Elite was a great cliffhanger. I wonder if we'll get Elite versus the BCC in Blood and Guts. The QTV segment didn't land with me, and I wish Hobbs wasn't a part of that group. That's my lone complaint on an otherwise great show. Yeah, similar thoughts. Coleman was uh, 
at the show tonight in Winnipeg. He says, first, the main event was the loudest wrestling match I've ever been to. Second, Jeff Jarrett is going way too hard for someone of his age. Well, interesting. Loudest until the main event or until the finish, I guess. Uh, Kate from Montreal says, I really enjoyed almost everything about the show tonight. Moving to a four pillars match for the title was something I didn't see coming, but it's a refreshing change of pace since I think the triple threat with Kenny Pack and Cassidy is the only time the world title has been defended in a multi-man matchup until this point. I thought all three non-MJF guys did pretty well with their promos. I especially like Darby because I too find the extracurricular complaining unbearable and because it's extremely rare that we get a live promo from him at all. I don't love having less than two minutes of women's wrestling on a two-hour show, but the payoff was that we got a solid introduction for Taya and what looks like some movement towards a big multi-woman match down the road. Could that be blood and guts? Having House of Black uh, Black retain was 100% the right direction, but they still managed to get a great moment for one of the hometown heroes in the end. I'm instantly psyched for the next storyline. And lastly, she says, re-sign Stu Grayson. Yeah, I'd also contend, though, like you did have the the segment with like the outcasts. And I think like those to me are just as important as throwing out uh, a wrestling match that you could have taken, you know, Willow Nightingale versus Tony Storm and put them out there for six minutes. And Mm -hmm. instead you did a segment that there's multiple matches coming out of that and getting Sky Blue reintroduced there, having Willow attached with them, Rio attached with the originals. So, I mean, that segment to me, it it was obviously designed to create more out of that storyline and have more principal characters on the original side. Next, we go to Jordan from the Bronx. Jeff Jarrett continues to be my guilty pleasure in wrestling right now. The international belt was a classic Jeff Jarrett TNA title match featuring multiple refs, Fargo struts, endless run-ins, weapon teases, and other overbooked tropes that he was guilty of. This was all extremely annoying 20 years ago in TNA, but today in AEW, I can appreciate how hard he's actually working. I love that Max Caster's rap was able to get across a sincere gratitude for their success and fans. I don't hear Juice Robinson cut promos often. He sounds like angry Jack Black. The Pillars promo in the beginning and the trios match at the end were great bookends to a fun show overall, which included two in-ring women's segments. Winnipeg brought it. Peace. Angry Jack Black is a very um, specific, but like spot on comparison, I would say. And I don't know if a wrestler wants, like, does a wrestler want to sound like an angry Jack Black? No, no. Hmm. That, that okay. Be what Jack Black be. and the Bullet Club would be cool. Okay. All right, let's go to Cody from Maine, who says, really enjoyable show, top to bottom. I love the opening segment and just how important it felt, emphasized by the recap segment later on. More of that from AEW would be welcomed. I question the continuation of Hangman and Mox's feud, but it paid off in a big way tonight. I'm a sucker for on-screen drama between the elite. I'm sure you mentioned where you thought it would go, but if not, what is your best guess? Yeah, we kind of, um, you know, we we discussed, like, I, I think they're, they're in prime, like, target for, um you know, blood and guts and uh, stadium stampede. Maybe they break it up this year. You know, maybe they, they what they're doing with the outcast and the originals, that might be suitable for one of those two. Um, but, um, I, I, I you know, we're, we're kind of in, like, a faction period in the calendar right now. And uh, on, on both sides, I think they're they're building, building interesting things. Uh, he says, while polarizing, I also enjoyed QTV, Jeff Jarrett's match, and the Outcast segment. Speaking about the latter, in his recap, Sino proposed towards the group needing two more members to even up his story at five on five. Do you agree with this take that it could be the former Bellas, Nikki and Brie Garcia? I mean, honestly, like they would fit in seamlessly in this storyline. I, I honestly do, and maybe I'll, I'll sound sound ridiculous later, but I, I really don't see the Bellas going to 
AEW. I don't either. I, I for one thing, I think the wrestling days are over. Like I think, I think they're. I think so too. Like they have a lot of other options to do yeah. outside of pro wrestling. That you know, un- unless they believe that having a presence on television would be helpful for other projects, but I really just don't see that for them. Like they've been very successful outside of pro wrestling, and I think at this stage of of their lives, I just don't know if wrestling. I mean, r- remember, like Nikki had like a really messed up neck yes. a- on top of it. Like yes, probably and, and you're not- talking about AEW. This is not just like you know coming into WWE and and like I don't know wrestling a, a match where you might be able to get away without doing a whole lot look at what like saraya has been going through you know like she she's she's facing a lot of heavy criticism and and she's having to contend with the expectations of a of an aew style ruby soho said the same thing you know adjusting to an aew style is a lot more physically demanding i just don't see the bellas or sorry the garcias needing to go through that path first of all and or even wanting to go through that path maybe coming in as like managers in a speaking role would be like as much as i can expect but beyond between that and them like basically like i believe that when they say that they're not they have no intentions of coming in um i think there are other options that you could use you know to fill fill those gaps but um it'd be interesting. So our answer is no we do not see the bellas uh evening things out yeah um but hey we could be wrong we could be wrong let's go to brian who says i just attended my first live show and i couldn't have picked a better show the reactions to kenny and jericho were incredible and the crowd was really hyped for Stu grayson as well big crowd tonight with a huge pop for kenny omega's excellent promo for the hometown crowd um i don't think we got to hear it actually no of course we didn't no yeah, so I guess that was after the show. Okay, after the show, Tony Khan came out to address the crowd, promising to come back to the city and announce the Forbidden Door show to the crowd. Excellent show overall, and will definitely be going next time they are here. The only disappointment was for my wife not being able to see Brian Danielson. All right. Well, I mean, you shouldn't have had that expectation. I mean, they did the angle last week with Danielson to not be there. Brian's in New Jersey and has the last word. Very fun show in front of a hot crowd. Top-notch opener and main event. And a heck of a tease at the very end. Really nice seeing Stu Grayson and Taya Valkyrie get involved. My only issue with the episode was the overabundance of shooting in an otherwise good string of promos. I don't need to hear Sammy talk about being brought in as a job guy or a bump guy. The Outcast segment wasn't as egregious, but I'm not really enjoying this story of heels complaining about their pushes. I can certainly see that um, that argument. I'm... I'm at a point where I, I feel like it's it's definitely annoying when that stuff is brought up. I don't think it's the killer that it's – I think that enough of the audience um, sees it for what it is. But I, I can certainly see why it is not um, not great material to, to utilize. Yeah, I, I thought those lines probably went a little too far in like maybe defeating my suspension of disbelief as well. Um but that's what AEW tends to play play with with its audience, you know. Um, was that line maybe a too a bit too far? Could he have subst- substituted those words for something else? Just say like everyone thought uh, me coming in, I would be the weak link of the inner circle. That I yeah. would be the one pulling this group down, and mm-hmm. I was just going to be Jericho's shield uh, mm-hmm. while he was champion, and I would be thrown to the wolves. Like easy way to just and you can read between the lines that. Yep. You know, for your audience, it's like, okay, he's saying weak link, but what he means is pretty much what he's stating here, that I am I am not the star power of even a Jake Hager, uh, much less uh, a Jericho or even Santana and Ortiz. Mm-hmm. Like there's you can you can get all of these points across and just do it in a clever enough way that it's not just screaming, um, you know, this is all this is all bullshit and I'm booked badly. Yeah, agreed. Anyway. 
Those are our thoughts. Uh, man, we are coming up on the two-hour mark uh, of the show. So that is our time to bid everyone a farewell. Thanks to everybody for your feedback, uh, especially those that were live there and gave us an authentic review of the bar mitzvah involving MJF. Mm-hmm. We and I are going to be back Thursday, postwrestlingcafe.com. It is Drive to Survive, episodes seven and eight from season number five. We are going to be chatting about Yuki Sonoda. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yes. What else? What, what's the other episode? I forget. Oh, I don't know. I've watched them. The second one's about Yuki. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, we'll have Chris Elliott on. Really happy to chat a, a, a bit more about F1 and maybe this upcoming race on, on the weekend in Saudi Arabia. And that's a whole other topic that I'm sure we'll get get into in the coming weeks as well, F1's relationship with Saudi Arabia. So uh, tune in if you're an F1 fan. And if you're not, maybe you'll just watch the show and follow along with us. So uh, we want to thank everybody who's been um, sending us great feedback to those shows. Yes. The episodes are Hot Seat and Alpha Male. And uh, the first episode, it's all about Sergio Perez. And he's in the hot seat at okay. Red Bull. And Red Bull, they're like, you either perform or you get the F out. Mm. We, we've got options. Oh, yeah. They do. Will Sergio earn his seat? We're going to find out. So that's coming up Thursday, Friday night, special start time. Rewind to SmackDown, 10 p.m. Eastern time. We will not be covering Rampage because it's airing late on Friday. Uh, so we will go live at 10, uh, chatting about SmackDown, and we'll make some extra time for phone calls. And uh, if you want to get involved, you can do so. All cafe members uh, can join us live. And then Saturday is the UFC 286 post show. And Sunday, WrestleNomics Radio with Brandon, Jesse, and Chris. So that is it for us. Goodbye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc